It's a struggle for students because they're looking for affordable housing, rent by the room, and a lot of landlords want to rent out the whole house. So it's a strong niche because you're able to offer affordable housing. You're offering something specific for students, amenities provided for students like a study desk, a bed in each room. It's easier to find student tenants because there's a lot of them looking. What's going on, everyone? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will teach you how to build wealth with real estate without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today we are joined by Ryan Chaw. Ryan is a real estate investor whose investment strategy enabled him to become a millionaire at 28 years old. Today, we're going to dig into his strategy of doing room-by-room rentals, buying rentals all across the country, catering to college students, grad students, and people who just want to rent a room and they don't want to rent an entire house. And that can produce significant cash flows and enable you to become a millionaire at 28 years old like Ryan did. We're going to dig into all of that today. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us today. Tell us more about your investment model and what your portfolio looks like today. Thanks, Taylor. I'm a pharmacist by trade, actually recently retired pharmacist, I just say. I bought my first house in 2016 because I saw my grandpa buy some properties in the Bay Area back in the 50s, and he helped cover not just part of my college tuition, but my brother's as well. So that was my inspiration for getting started and just trying to get as many properties as possible and and provide uh, student housing. So I bought my first one in 2016, and I just slowly purchased one a year in California in a market that's only about an hour drive from me where the houses were. First one I bought was $262,000 and then in the low $300,000 range. And then I rented out per room to my alma mater college, college students there. I would typically get five or six bedrooms at a house. And so if you rent out each room for, let's say, $600 or $700 per month, then five times, let's say, $700 is going to be $3,500 a month in rental income, while your mortgage payment might be more like only, you know, 1000 to 1500 depending on your interest rate. I think nowadays, you know, it might be more toward 1800 or something like this per month. But yeah, I was able to make cash flow in California, uh, even though it was a very expensive market. By time I hit uh, 28, uh, like Taylor said, I had five rentals under my belt, making $10,755 per month in rental income. And then soon after that, I started investing out of state. And now I have about 15 rentals and about to close on the 16th rental. Wow. Using the same strategy. You got so much done and you produced quite a lot of cash flow in a short amount of time. And you threw out a few numbers there as far as your acquisition prices. Now it was back in 2016, but in California, properties for in the 200s to $300,000 range, you know, to me, I'm not a California investor, but that sounds incredibly cheap for California, even back in 2016. How did you accomplish that? Yeah. So I looked at markets uh, nearby me, like I I wanted to invest within an hour and a half of me. And I found this market in, in Stockton. Well, where I went to school, right? And so I kind of knew that the area, uh, yes, there is some crime around, but if you're close enough to the university, it doesn't matter as much because there's campus police patrolling, there's really high quality students. Uh, I chose to invest near a 
basically a very top-end college, uh, really ranked high on the national college list. And so I would get a lot of like pharmacy students, dental students, medical students, nursing students, engineering, MBA, all of that type of deal. And so a lot of my students that I bring in are actually graduate students and, you know, paying 600 or $700 per month rather than staying at a dormitory, having a, a roommate and paying $1,200 per month, plus the meal plan, plus having to pay for parking and everything, you know, it just made a lot of sense for people. Okay. When you talk about renting property to college students, there is, of course, the college student lifestyle that folks are familiar with. Now you're saying a lot of your tenants are grad students, which probably tempers some of that partying uh, lifestyle that college students tend to live, but that can still lead to bigger maintenance bills than we might like, repairs, that kind of a thing. What has been your experience there? How have you dealt with that or because of your grad student type of tenant profile, do you just not experience those big, you know, party house type of problems that you might see? Yeah. So for the party house type thing that everyone kind of worries about, it's it's a little bit of a myth if you do it right. There are two things that I look for. The first is investing at a top college. And so these are colleges where a lot of students, they have to have like a 3.0 or 4.0 GPA in high school. They have to be very well-rounded. A lot of times we're targeting, you know, grad students specifically. So there's a lot of opportunity for more of a professional degree where they're really focused on studying. A lot of times they're studying and having school throughout the summer as well. Um, And so that basically minimizes the, the risk of having a party, like investing at a party school. The second thing I look for is I, I specifically do target those uh, grad students, uh, medical interns, let's say like residencies, fellowships. So I try to be near a top hospital as well, if possible. Think of like Mayo Clinic or Stanford. Well, you know, Stanford, obviously it's, it's more expensive, but I try to combine both of those factors. And then, so most of the people that I bring in, I will screen them. I will see what major they are. You know, I will see what programs they're in and whatnot, just to kind of gauge if they're going to be more of a professional student versus like a freshman, just getting into college and undeclared major. Right. So I'm really looking for that type of student. The other thing you can do is kind of tell based off of your interaction with them. If they're saying like, yo, what's up, dude? I'm looking for a place (laughs) to stay or place to bunk or whatever, right? Give me your couch. You know, I, you know, I kind of try to stay away from that. I'm looking for somebody who's going to say, oh, hey, Mr. Chaw, I was looking for affordable housing nearby the school campus. And, you know, this is a little bit about me. I'm Sigma Chi chair or president or whatever. I'd love to know more about the place, whatnot, right? And a lot of times, these people also have a group of friends as well that they bring in. And then the third part about this is you also want to make sure you tenant-proof the property wherever possible, like luxury vinyl plank flooring lasts a long time. A lot of times, I do collect a good amount uh, for the deposit, at least a a month's worth of rent for the deposit. So you know, having, let's say five people and they each pay 700 a month, that's $3,500 for the deposit itself. And if something breaks down, I at least have that amount to pay towards the repairs if that happens. With that being said, a lot of times, if you really think about it, there's going to be more wear and tear on a property that has like a whole family, kids and whatnot versus 
college town housing because most of the time these students are in school. They're in school throughout the whole day. They're usually doing internships. They're getting experiential hours, intern hours. They're, you know, eating out with their friends at lunchtime and dinner time. So they really come back to the house mainly to study, shower, and sleep. And that's pretty much it. So it pretty much it does minimize the wear and tear on it. The one thing I would say is make sure you check the sewage system and everything, because if you're having like six people or five people at the house using the same sewage system, you know, you have to make sure, you know, that doesn't back up. And so I had problems like that on my very first property, but it's all preventable. You know, you can, you can do a scope down there and ask the seller to cover some of the costs for the repairs if it's broken. And so you can really, like I said, tend to improve the property like that. Great. So you've been reaching out beyond your original market and buying some rentals, you know, from a from a distance lately. Can you walk us through that process and how you've approached finding a new market to invest in, steps that you've taken to better understand the the local neighborhood aspect, what the students need and all that kind of thing to make sure that you're making the right decision and in finding a new property and a new market to invest. Yeah. So there's definitely a whole market analysis process for this. I'll kind of just give you a brief step-by-step breakdown. Usually I start with looking for top colleges. So I'll literally type in top colleges in California, top colleges in Texas, Florida, whatever. And I'll start there. I'll go down the list and I'll figure out which of these will have a low median home price. You can look on you know, ChatGPT is actually pretty good at this. You can get a list of the median home prices for all the college towns. And from there, I usually choose a college town where the median home price is like two hundred or 300000 or so, so that the cash flow makes a lot of sense. From there, I will start doing my market research. I will call up apartments and see what their vacancy rates are, the apartments that are close by the school, because if they have like 90% vacancy, or sorry, 90% occupancy or more, I'm like, hey, if they can get their place filled with students, their primary demographic is students, and they're filling 90%, I should be able to do it too and and just get my six bedrooms filled, right? Especially if I offer less than those apartments. And and most times the apartments are charging like $900 to over $1,000 per month per per room, essentially. So I, I look at that. I call up students. I call up student housing. I figure out how many students actually stay on campus versus off campus or what percentage, how many percentage is grad students, how many grad students do they have overall. And I will even figure out, do, does the on-campus housing, do they provide housing for grad students? Because a lot of times they don't. They only provide enough housing for undergrads and they cannot promise graduate housing. So there's a ton of markets out there. There's probably at least a hundred colleges and a lot of states out there. You know, obviously we're we're focused on these really nationally ranked colleges, but there's always local community colleges, trade schools, professional schools, call it state schools. And yeah, I, I invest like the one that I'm at right now. My housemates all go to Sacramento State, and yeah, to not. Sorry to go on a tangent a bit, but basically, yeah, those are kind of the key steps that I would take in order to make sure that I'm investing in a good market. So walking through the process, just walking through myself through the life cycle of one of these deals, you find a market, find a property that makes sense. You work on your doing your due diligence, like you had mentioned before. And then when you, once you've acquired 
tenant proofing the property, LVP, all that kind of a thing. But okay, now you've got a property, you need to fill it with tenants, you need to manage those tenants, collect rents and you know everything along the lines that's involved with actually owning a rental property and building cash flow. So how have you handled that? Built systems? What software tools do you use? If any, I'm sure you do, but yeah. you know, walk us through that day-to-day yeah. type of stuff. Yeah. So the cool part about having multiple tenants is you can have like one head tenant that coordinates with the other tenants to get things done around the house. Let's say, I don't know, they need to change a light bulb. You just send them a sheet with light bulb changing instructions. In fact, at the very beginning, I require all of them to look through this home guide that I send them. It tells them things like, you know, save energy by turning off or programming the AC to turn off while you're not at the house. Uh, things like, you know, trash days, what's the Wi-Fi password, all that type of stuff. So it's, it's a little bit like setting them up for Airbnb, but it's a lot less maintenance in the Airbnb because you don't have to have a cleaner go in there every single day to clean up after the tenants, right? They're, they're pretty much, like I said, they're in school most of the time. They're not actually at the house. So a lot of times that kind of cuts down on the maintenance. Now, as far as bookkeeping, I actually hired out Uh, for that. So I have a guy in the Philippines who does all the bookkeeping. He does an excellent job keeping track of cash flow, telling us, you know, kind of identifying areas we can improve in and everything. And I also have an executive assistant as well now that kind of handles the day-to-day operations just because I'm at 15 properties. Now, when I was only at five properties, four or five properties, I was able to manage all this myself. Because again, there's a lot of things you can do to just cut down on the maintenance, having those systems in place. But now having around 70 tenants or so, I just, you know, hire out a team. I train them how I manage these properties and they take care of everything now. Nice. So you mentioned, here's the Wi-Fi password. So to me, that would imply that you're say, providing internet, maybe some other utilities. Now, back in my day when I went to college, we had to go take care of the internet, get our own internet and cable subscription and everything like that. But tell us about the utilities, what you provide, how you build that out, everything like that. Very important. Yeah. So what I do is I set up everything for them. I have all the utilities under my name for most of my houses. And then I will have the bookkeeper divide it by however many tenants there are, like five or six tenants, and then he will charge them. He'll send them an email saying, this is how much everyone owes. Here's all the bills. He downloads them and sends it to them. And then basically, he'll also check around the eighth of the following month if the utilities were paid. If not, he will send a reminder, and then they'll pay it. So that's how it works right now. I do have some houses where we have that lead tenant who basically know if he knows all the other tenants, like he's friends with all of them and they all trust him, he will go ahead and set up the utilities under his name and charge back the other tenant, pay the utilities and charge back the other tenants. So I've had that happen a lot, especially for people who are all in the same fraternity, for instance, and they just want to see the bills themselves and handle it all themselves. So either way is fine. So when you set it up under, set the internet, for example, up under your name, there's a question of, of course, you know, illegal content pirating, right? You, sometimes people get letters, especially when it's like a a shared internet connection. Have you like set something up to protect yourself against that since you're providing the internet utility or has it not been a problem yet? It hasn't been a problem yet, to be honest, but I do have liability insurance, umbrella insurance. I split up all of my properties into separate LLCs. So what's nice about Ohio, 
where I invest and it has a system called the series LLC system where you can set up separate, like three properties per LLC and they're separated, you know, liability wise, but at the same time, they're kind of under the same like parent organization in a way. I'm not a lawyer, so obviously I'm, I'm probably misdescribing it, but they are kind of considered together, but separate when it comes to being sued. So what I do is I have $1 million in each LLC. So that will be usually three or four properties. If each property is 300000 for instance, there will be three properties uh, in one LLC, which adds up to 900000 And so if I get sued in that LLC, you know, the max they could get is those those three properties or, or whatnot. So I kind of separate out the liability. But the, the good part about umbrella insurance is it usually covers up to a million dollars worth of liability. So like, let's say, I don't know, somebody tripped and broke their leg and they're suing you to get a judgment for 200000 the insurance company will cover it and they will also hire an attorney to argue for you. They do that whole process themselves, which is really great because obviously they're going to do their best to, they're a very big company. So like State Farm, they're going to do their very best to hire the right attorney to protect you. That's true. And save themselves money because it's really, at the end of the day, it's the mon- their money, right? So they, they really spend a lot of time um, getting the right people. So how about finding tenants and listing your rentals out there? A lot of places you can list a a vacant rental to find the right tenants, but what services, what websites do you use to post your vacancies? Yeah, see, right now there's not one specific for student housing. So there's several websites out there that we use. There's roomies.com, apartments.com, Zillow. There's a a website called Uloop. Um, You can even find people on Reddit. And a lot of times it's a struggle for students because they're looking for affordable housing, rent by the room. And a lot of landlords, they, they want to rent out the whole house, not, not by the room. And so it's a very strong niche because you're able to af- offer affordable housing. You're offering something specific for students, amenities provided for students like a, a study desk, a, you know, a bed in each room, et cetera. And so it, it's, it's actually pretty easy i would say it's easier to find student tenants because there's a lot of them out there looking if you just do the math like let's say there's i don't know 5000 people enrolled at a college at, or let's say 6000 3000 is undergrad 3000 is graduate and there's no housing for graduate then basically those 3000 students have to live off campus and even if you have these 50 unit apartments with two bedrooms each that's only 100 here or 100 there you know there's still another I don't know, 2,500 students looking for housing. And so even if you get like 1% of that population, let's say you get 25 or 30 tenants, that's already, let's say 30, to make things simple, 30 tenants times 600 is 18,000 a month. And so you only need like 1% of it to make a multiple six-figure rental income, right? So it's it's a very powerful strategy. How many of the properties that you acquire are already being used as room-by-room rentals before you acquire them versus just being a a single-family rental occupied by a family or or owner-occupied or whatever? How many of you kind of changing the the purpose or the usage of the property? Yeah. So I actually, I I do my research to figure out where the the ideal neighborhoods are for student housing. I'll talk to a lot of people. I'll, I'll look on student forums and things like that. Uh, Reddit is actually really good for that. And I will find out where do they like to live. 
and then I'll I'll look for properties in that area. And a lot of times, I would say maybe twenty or twenty percent of the time, or a good amount of times, I should say, twenty percent of the time, they will actually have rented to students in the past or are currently renting to students. They just you know, aren't very good with their marketing. They're not very good at providing a really good housing for the students. I actually bought a house and it was like kind of really poorly maintained. How surprised the students are living there. I'm like, oh my God, they, this landlord doesn't do, do anything. <laughs> it doesn't seem to, they don't seem to care. They, you know, they have a lot of cash flow rolling in and they kind of just got lazy with the house and yeah, it was a wreck. And so we, um, renovated it and, and these are not super expensive renovations you know it might be just a, a few thousand to put in new flooring for the whole house right and tear out all the carpet it could just cost like 500 to do like a deep cleaning and it the whole house is deep cleaned and you know you get rid of all the mold and all that you can even have someone go in there and just recalk the sinks and the showers and all that and it'll look really nice just spending i don't know three thousand dollars on it just to you know, make it look really, really good. And all of a sudden, you know, once you post those ads showing the the new place, you'll get a lot of people interested because there's just not too many other good providers out there. And but that's a good question. Yeah, I, I go to places where there there's obviously a lack of housing. Students are telling me it's very hard to find housing. It's very hard to find affordable housing. And I'm just, you know, really struggling with that. Right. And so I, I do the market research to confirm that. Before we go to the three questions I ask every guest on the show, you're 31. You mentioned that you've recently retired from being a pharmacist at 31, which is really, really incredible. That's right. What's the long-term view? Because a lot of our listeners out there are older than you, and they may not be able to quite picture themselves as retired on cash flow or whatever. They're not to that point, but you got a lot of yeah. life left, man. What are you going to do yeah. with the rest of it for the long-term now that your you know, daily living needs are well more than taken care of through passive cash flow. Yeah. Right. Great question. Yeah. So one of my missions is I, I've always enjoyed teaching. Ever since I was in high school, I always signed up to be a tutor. I would tutor on the side during summer, whatnot. And I I really enjoy the process of, of coaching somebody through what I went through. Like these are my actual mistakes that I made. These are some of the things I've seen people make. This is how you avoid it. This is the process I use, right? Um, and so I, I will walk people through a st the step-by-steps for doing this for themselves. And so that's kind of one of my main areas of focus is right now is I've, I've kind of gone through, I think I've, I've had at least 55 or 60 clients by now where we've done this throughout the whole United States. Um, and so that's one of my focuses. I also like providing uh, nice, good quality content out there through YouTube. So if you know, you guys like YouTube, I, I do put out some YouTube videos for that. Other than that, you know, I might work one day a week or two days a week as a pharmacist. And the rest of the week, I just focus on providing for, you know, providing a good life for my family. I focus on giving back. I focus on just self-improvement. A lot of it is self-improvement in my health, my relationships, my, my lifestyle, you know, obviously not trying to inflate my lifestyle, but I, I, I want to, you know, get things that make my life uh, more efficient and so that I can continue to invest in rental properties. My goal is to get to a hundred or 
provide 100 houses for student housing. And I think it's great because we're making it affordable for students. We're decreasing the amount of student loan debt out there. And we're probably one of the best options, like probably the best option in, in uh, a lot of markets out there. Nice. I love that. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Ryan, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes. Great. Number one. What is your number one book recommendation? It's hard to just choose one, but if you haven't have have read Rich Dad Poor Dad, obviously that one's really great. Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller, I found to be really great for teaching you how to build teams and really look at this real estate investing from a very professional perspective. The third one I would say, sorry, I know you asked for one, but I'm giving you three. But the third one I would say is actually the one in your background, the Traction book. That one's been super, super helpful for me to build systems so that this can become a very passive investment for you. Uh, Nowadays, Basically, we have this ticketing system where we put up a ticket, like if something or the student will put in a ticket for something that goes wrong at the house that needs to be fixed, and it'll go straight to our contractors or or our executive assistants to triage it. And then basically everything kind of gets done passively. I don't I don't really have to do anything else other than making sure I train my team well, making sure we're all aligned and focused focusing on acquisitions and growth. So it's, it's, it's fun. It's a fun game, man. That's awesome. And it strikes me that you and folks like you who read these great books and recommend them, you get the knowledge, but you take that critical next up step. And there's several steps involved in taking this next step, but actually oh, yeah. applying the knowledge and the lessons to yourself, your life and your business. That's the, the important thing, right? We all read a lot of self-help books and business books and everything like that, but it doesn't matter until we apply some of these lessons and learn some of these lessons the yeah. hard way. We're going to make mistakes and everything, but that's critical. And you, you applied those lessons from traction, the other books to your business. And that's, yeah. that's awesome. I appreciate the specific uh, example there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say what you do is you got, you got to take good notes and then you got to go back at your notes and say, okay, how can I apply this for my business or how, you know, how can I make this useful for, for this? Nice. Question number two, who or what inspires you? My grandpa was my primary inspiration. I mean, I saw him do it. I saw him become successful. I learned that over time, no matter what, real estate will win out in the end. I I guess I shouldn't say no matter what, because 
you know, people can take that the wrong way, but there's so many ways to win in real estate. There's appreciation, there's the tenants paying down your mortgage for you, your loan, right? So a little bit every month goes towards the principal on that loan. There's also the cash flow and then the tax benefits as well. So I think Donald Trump said he lost over multi-millions of dollars, right? But he was able to write all of that off for in declared bankruptcy or whatnot. But then, you know, when he started again, now he, he can deduct all of that from his taxes. So real estate's the same way. It's never like you lose it forever. If, if you lose $30,000 in real estate, you write it off. And then, you know, the next $30,000 in income, you don't have to pay any taxes on. So I, I, I just love real estate. And I've seen people like my grandpa do very well in it. And so I believed in it 100%. Nice. Question number three, think about Ryan at 80 years old. If you could sit down with him and have a conversation with him, what advice do you think 80-year-old Ryan would tell Ryan of today? Yeah, I would say, he would say, don't, well, I used to do this, but don't just go after the, you know, the, the money, right? Because it's never really about the money in the long run. It's, it's really about you developing as a person. It's really about you holding your values, really becoming a leader. One of the biggest things I was working on this year was becoming a leader for my team, becoming a good manager, being able to inspire and influence others to believe in the same dream, right? And so I would say more focus on that versus like, how much does this cash flow, right? Because it's exciting to see the cash flow, right? But it's it's more important to really realize what, you know, set those goals and and really think about how you need to personally develop yourself to achieve them. That's what I, I think 80-year-old Ryan would say. Nice. Well, Ryan, thank you for joining us today and sharing this knowledge. If folks want to get in touch or track you down on the internet, where can they find you? Yeah, so I offer a free PDF for how I reached my first multiple six-figure income by the age of 28 and, and became a millionaire. You can get that at www.newbierealestateinvesting.com slash guide. That's www.newbierealestateinvesting.com slash guide. Newbie is spelled N-E-W-B-I-E. I also provide regular updates on all the mistakes I make, all the things I've done to you know, avoid those and scale my portfolio and even just getting the first rentals. There's a lot of good information for that. Obviously, there's a lot of information out there, but I really focus on trying to break through all that noise and just give it to you straight. Nice. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one.